I'd like to um, bring to mind and talk about the gift, gift of realization. Why I call it a gift is because this realization is not something you actually do, it's something that arrives almost out of nowhere (laughs) or out of somewhere beyond yourself. Uh, Of course, say it arrives out of nowhere it doesn't uh, discount the fact that one has to do a good amount of work to get in the right place to receive it <laughs> because a lot of the time we're buried and we don't get our heads out of the karmic field we're buried in it can't, realization can't occur because we're so immersed in uh, in that realm. And with this immersion, this immersion in the realm, calm is the field, consciousness is the seed, tanha, craving, is the juice for the arising of beings in the world of becoming. And asked to give citations, that's the Numerical Discourses, Book of the Threes, 77. Calm is the field. It's going to spread out experience of, you know, based upon sense contact, contact of sight, sound, touch, mind contact is probably the largest contributor to the field. As we can remember sights and sounds and touches and words and thoughts and deeds from long ago. And so this is a very rich field based upon mind, really. Mind is the one that is the agent that stores it all. So this becomes the world in which we dwell. We're based from that world. We look around and we see things that... uh, in accordance with what bothers me, what excites me, what I notice, because of the way my mind has built in, I've been establishing certain inclinations, preferences, hopes, fears. So the inner world colours flavors the mind and then we see things that bend into it the angry mind sees things that annoy it jealous mind sees things that make it feel I haven't got as good as he has fearful mind thinks they don't always everybody's against me I've got to defend myself Uh, we have to Recognize that none of these are actually itself, they're just, they're just mind states in the realm of karma. And we might, we're not always angry, frightened, <laughs> jealous. Sometimes we're joyful, happy with good, and it's bad, it's a mixed field. And, but every one of those experiences felt to be me. Why is that? Because something called tanha, craving, craving to be, craving to identify, 
goes into that and feeds the arising of a current mind state based upon one's karmic inheritance. We're often living out the same scenarios. Isn't that true? Notice that? You find yourself going through similar emotional scenarios with this person and that place. Yeah. Because consciousness is established on this distorted field, so it, it carries that distortion into the current present moment experience. And all kinds of strange things occur. We take over, we act upon them. Therefore, is fresh karma. Some quality called bhavatana, craving, we don't really notice it. It's the craving to identify and be something, and it propels chitta to involve itself in this karmic field. Therefore, there's arising a fresh action. I remember a, a very uh, striking example. Was a, a while ago, several years ago, we had a Samanera, a novice monk here, in meditation retreat, and he'd had a difficult upbringing. I think his mother was um, schizophrenic, had suffered from schizophrenia, was out, drank a lot. So he'd often come back and she'd be out of her head, lying on the table. So, you know, difficult stuff. But, you know, you're absorbing that experience. And so a lot of suffering there, and insecurity and so on. Doing this meditation retreat, and he's kind of trying to really get his mind held down. And, you know, because it's quite unsteady. And at one time he, he gets up from the meditation or he... What, what goes off, so where's he gone? You know? And then he goes into the reception room of the monastery. We have these on the wall, we have a series of a series of portraits of all the abbots of the past. There's Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Samedo, Ajahn Ananda, and myself. And photographs. One of myself was a drawing that somebody, this woman, did over a month or so looking at photographs, it's beautiful, amazing, pencil drawing, much better than, much better than the real thing, but, you know, really good quality, fine drawing, you know, as she did, so all these were on the wall, and he ripped them, he smashed them, ripped them all up, all the photographs, and so, and then he said, what what do you do? He said, well, in my meditation, I was battling the host of Mara, Uh uh-huh, you're battling the host of Mara, yeah, and then I, so I thought I'd want to get up. I was walking over down the reception room, and the hosts of Mara were, they were on the photographs. They were the glittering light on the photographs as the host of Mara, and they were laughing at me. So I destroyed them all. Uh huh. <laughs> For him, that was real. 
called projection. And that was an extreme, extreme example of it. This is, you know, a person who apparently from function in the world, you're raving mad, but at a certain point, the impressions and the depth of the karmic field well up and flood out onto the external world. So we see whatever is happening in his mind, he actually sees it out in the world around him, starts, he has to destroy it. This is quite, <laughs> unfortunately, this is not a solitary case. In fact, for unenlightened beings, something like that's happening most of the time. The karmic impressions, the karmic footprint, the karmic distortions, the karmic pressures in the depth, consciousness is seeded in that, arises so that we see things that relate to that. We see the the demons, we see the person who doesn't listen to me, we see the mother figure or the father figure, or we see, you know, we hear words of blame where there weren't any apparent other people say they weren't even hear them. Because the mind is sitting in its field. And when it sits in that field, that's called self. That's the experience of self. And it's so normal that people don't really understand what you mean not self. It means some kind of annihilation. Not self. It's me here. I'm here. Not self sounds kind of eerie and, and weird and negative. But what it really means is that the chitta is not no longer based, immersed in the karmic field, regenerating further karma, dependent on old karma. Instead, it's where does it go? <laughs> Where's the way out of that? And you know, and clearly, you know, if the Buddha is the realized one has realized this, he's walking around, he's functioning very well without a self. So, because it doesn't mean there's no chitta there, there's no heart there, there's no, it doesn't mean there's no awareness there, there's no heart there, there's no compassion there, there's no wisdom there. Of course, it's very full. But what there isn't there is the formations dependent on past karma welling up and colouring the world around him, which is the experience that most of us have to some degree or other, tinted. So through our practice of actually working with this karmic field, working with karma, working with the way the mind operates like that, and what it perceives and what it feels and how its impulses and energies are, there's a possibility that there's a a non-acting on those self-impulses. And then the mind, because of the non-acting upon it, the mind rises out of it. It's 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 like a spring, you know. It's like if you don't go into the into the feedback loop over and over again of how I'm affected, therefore I respond, how I'm affected, therefore I respond, how I feel, therefore, 
if we cut that feedback loop, it can be, yeah, I feel affected, but I've witnessed that, I'm above that. Use the arising out to see, oh, this is suffering. This is origin. So see how it ceases. In part. The Buddha surveying the world. Karma. This is the world. Yeah. And I think very, you know, exact. Never uh, quote the suttas. This is Sanyata Nikaya, Sutta number, book two, Sutta twenty-six, where the Buddha is talking to a celestial being, Rohitasa who used to be an amazing um, spirit who could stride across the earth in two or three strides, this huge, gigantic spirit. And this spirit saying to him, where do you get to the end of this world? Where do you get to the end of it? I can't find it. I keep walking, I keep, and I can't get to the end of it. The Buddha said, well, you don't get to the end of the world by travelling. And yet I declare there is an ending. It's in this very body with its perceptions and feelings and consciousness that you find the beginning of the world, the ending of the world, and the path to the end of the world. And you will not find the end of suffering until you get to the end of the world through that route. Right? I'm not talking about geography. In this very body, its perceptions and consciousness and feeling is the arising of the world. One's karmic field rises up, become potent. Yeah. The origin it wells up, it streams out. You stay with it with proper skill and attention and mindfulness. There's the seeing, instead of the reacting, continuing it, there can be the cutting of a continuing round of rebirth and becoming in this very life whereby connection is dropped there's a release that feels like a gift what you did was stop doing things stop acting in those ways and maybe you didn't even have an idea of this is going to make something else happen because the real letting go is you're not even asking for a result you just drop it and then out of nowhere is oh it's, not, oh, it's different my goodness I see that now how do I get stuck in there and so this is it so we do this little pieces of our karmic field well up you know and finally, you manage to not follow it. I never was that. What's it to do with me? Formed away. You know, I mean, it's a certainly being uh, a bhikkhu and then being 
having some being called an abbot or monastery, one gets a lot of that feeling of having to try to make it all work for people. You know, there was no clear definition of what the abbot was, but everybody else seemed to know what it was, and it was the person who solved things. Uh, I didn't sign up for that, but that was the general impression that came to me, you're the person who solves things. <laughs> Makes things all right. <laughs> Anything, in fact, and everything. <laughs> and if you don't, you'll be blamed. <laughs> so, yeah, right, okay, well, where's, where's the manual? <laughs> There's no manual. So, you know, you get into that, you do the best, you can do this and do that, and you're responsible, and keep my eye on this, keep my eye on that. Yeah, that means like a kind of, sometimes I get policeman attitude, looking around, make sure everything's all right, so people are happy, and think of that, and think of this, and your mind is kind of hovering everywhere, trying to make everything work, and so everything's okay, and everything's so You're always controlling everything. <laughs> okay, don't control everything, let go. You're not taking responsibility. Okay, you're not taking responsibility. Then. <laughs> and you think, oh, I can't, I didn't want to do that. I'm getting out, I think, oh, this is ridiculous, I'm getting out of here. No, don't do that. That doesn't sound wholesome. Don't do that. That doesn't sound, that doesn't feel wholesome. Breathe out, and it go. Do that. Twenty years. Do that. Twenty years. Do that. Yep. I think I've learned a few things about praise, blame, success, failure. Trying to make things work. Worry, doubt, irritation, resentment. It's <laughs> not much room for that anymore. Because <laughs> why go there? You know. Like, why go there? Why not just... There's, there's disturbance in the field, you could say. In fact, you could very well simply say, there is dukkha. And that's what we're here for, to witness dukkha. We don't like it. We want it to go away. We want to stop it. If I can't stop it, I want somebody else to do it for me. You're the guy in charge. You do it for me. <laughs> You be what I want you to be. Uh, what's that? <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> and so you go through a lot of things like that, you know. And suddenly you say, oh, I can't stand this. I don't see why I should have to do this. It's ridiculous. I didn't come, I didn't get ordained for this. Don't like the sound of that voice. Not a good voice. It's not the right voice. No fighting, no flying away, no escapism. Stay with this, breathe out, return to the center. Okay. Survey the field with a mind of compassion. People suffer. We will suffer, I suffer, they suffer. It's the universal verb. <laughs> I will suffer, they have suffered. <laughs> ah, okay. Then, you know, please try to acknowledge the stress and the suffering that you experience experiencing and 
be mindful of that. What can it teach you? Expectation is suffering. Seeking completion is suffering. Trying to get it right is suffering. Trying to get away from it is suffering. Trying to make it work for everyone is suffering. Hating everyone is suffering. (laughs) Thinking you're not good enough is suffering. Thinking you are good enough but people don't appreciate you is suffering. (laughs) And what's the common denominator of all that? (laughs) Me. People don't understand me. They don't appreciate me. They don't know what it's like to be me. You listen to that. This is suffering. It's the heart of compassion. Not changing anything, just reviewing with, oh wow, there's a lot of this around. Breathing in, breathing out. Okay, don't fight it, don't flee, don't freak out, stay there. Just arises a little bit. That's it. Realization. This arose through a kind of letting go of all the self strategies. Letting go of the self strategies, the arguing, defending, self pity, the accusation, the wanting to run away, the desperately trying to get it right. Letting go of those self strategies. It's always going to be, the field is always like this. But we don't have to be saturated in it. It could be rising out. Rising out, we let go of the self strategies. And if you review the field, you suddenly all those, you know, who are those people who disappoint you? What's that? Is that really a person? Or is it just another aspect of the anguished mind? Hmm? Is it really him who came here deliberately to annoy me? <laughs> no, it's just the result of someone who had a you know, schizophrenic mother who was drunk. It's, it's that, it's that mind. It's just cause and effect. This is the hurt person who sees enemies, whether aren't they? This is the desperate one. This is the lonely one. It's those mind states. There's no, no self there. And once you let go of that idea of self, then the quality of compassion and empathy just pushed right in there, it's like steam, it mists in. It's self-boundary that we keep creating to hold and protect and organise and, you know, and who we are something. It seems such a natural, justifiable thing. It's a straitjacket. And we put it on ourselves, on our own chitta, and we put it on the chittas of others. And then the battle starts. 
the conflict starts or the yeah, or the kind of yeah, starts. And the general sense of the immediate this compassionate, empathic response from heart to heart is curtailed through these self jackets, self casing occurs. With yeah, there is work to do. So, very broadly speaking, we have this you know eightfold path, and the, to my mind, one of the many aspects in which one can praise the Buddha's genius was not just that he had realization, which is pretty awesome, but he could also work out a conditioned path in the karmic world, in the world of circumstances. So he wasn't advocating, okay, off to the cave everybody, sit in a yogic trance and let's get out. You know? Shut the world off, let's get out. You know, let's go completely internal and forget the external altogether. No? So you can work it out. So there's no separation between the external, what we call the external, surface I'm calling it, you could call it the outside world, and internal, if you call it that, depth I'm calling it, karmic field I'm calling it, internal. There's no real separation. The same protocols, kind of qualities manifest or are being used. Of course, the path is very much things that we are doing and working on, and the fruit is just that pops off the tree when the path has arrived, completed. We don't know when that will be. Maybe it arrives several times. Maybe that path arrives several times and then we realise a bit. Floods come over again, path again, realise a bit more again. So it seems more like that. And when we contemplate these ten fetters, that's also a description of it. Path of the four stages, four main stages, stream entry, um, once returner, non returner. Oh, let's not get too much into the technology of it all. Um, but it begins, you know, we can see here also the relevance of, an, of a sympathetic mutual, you could call it love. So, love, what I'm referring to, is a quality of energy and heart that dissolves the boundaries dissolves the boundaries yeah. right, not dissolving it necessarily huge gushes of passion <laughs> when we cultivate the path in terms of sila, samadhi and panya sila, of course we're trying to operate all those you know it's not like we forget sila when we morality when we get into samadhi no, it's that, that stays there but you can build upon it uh, so sila very much deals with say you know relating to the external from and building up particular skillful relationships based upon witnessing surveying the external domain right? people creatures you know, stealing lying and abusing 
cursing, not reviling. You know, this one kind of thing. And the flip side of that is the quality of love we call mutuality or mutual respect. I respect creatures. I'm concerned for their welfare. I'm tenderly disposed towards them. Human, animal, whatever. You know. So in that quality, the boundaries. You know, I particularly like spiders. You know, I don't want to kill them. I don't want to actually live with a saltwater crocodile in my bathroom. But, you know, I'm happy they're on the planet somewhere. I don't really want to get into a deep bonded relationship, but let them be. <laughs> so, you know, I regard that that's about as loving as I can get to a saltwater crocodile. <laughs> I think that's pretty good because a lot of people don't want to let them be. So, you know, this is, we could say this is kind of sympathy. Okay, you can be there. That's fine. You know, let's not, let's just not have violence towards each other. And actually most animals are pretty moral in that respect. They don't, they don't kill people out of malice. They just do it out of fear or need for food. Whereas we just can't kill creatures for fun. By the millions. You know? Because of self. I want some fun. This is my world. I own this. Ownership. My world, my planet, do what I like. I've got the right. It's mine. That's a self-sound. I'm independent. It's my free will. My choice. I don't have to think about other things. It's up to me. That's a self-voice. What happens to them is of no no concern to me. It doesn't matter. If they all die out, so what? I'm fine. I'm okay without them. The isolationist view is another self-voice. And you can see the results of that self-voice are rampant. They've destroyed most of wildlife now. Um, it's only, I think, 4% of mammals are actually still in the wild. Of all mammals, 4%. The rest of them are just cat, cat and cats and dogs. They're not extinct. Because, what does it matter to me if the lesser spotted pangolin gets extinct? So what? Who cares? Particularly, and then we find out, well, it does matter. Because that creature was supporting that creature, which was supporting that vegetation, which was supporting that soil, which was causing fertility and now you've killed it and what happens the whole balance of nature goes out of whack because there was no respect it didn't matter to me then we get it back don't we like we're doing now climate change pollution we're getting it back that's karma right it did matter it does concern you now you're getting it in your face but we thought it didn't we could get away with it you don't. There's no getting away from it. Karma, you don't get away from it like that. So you say, look, this isn't just a matter of being affectionate, you know, towards toads and crocodiles. It's a matter of respect. The creatures, life force, they breathe. Respect it. And there's a sense of empathy. And you begin to see, that's a pretty amazing critter, actually. I, you've got a wolf 
how they could survive. It's amazing. I don't want to live with a wolf, but they're fantastic creatures. They're very intelligent in their own domain. You get a sense of respect. Like the human being is not the only creature that counts. We're not even the best, you know. If that we died out, the planet would happily continue without us, no problem. But if bees die out, we're really in deep trouble. Yeah? Why are we so important? Me. So with Celia starting to really, the more you cultivate the respect, that the me sense is very moderated and mollified and very tender and compassionate. And so it's a loving heart. And you work on it, because every time you're doing it, you're letting go of some of these controlling, self-oriented, independent ownership psychologies that generate the self. Self is not an entity, it's a series of corrupted programs that, that infect the chitta. I'm not blaming anybody for this, it's just what happens. So this is the foundation for sati. When your virtue is straight, your virtue is pure, then you should establish sati, right mindfulness. I even found out where that one was. I wrote it down. That's Samyutta Nikaya 47.3. So when your virtue is straight, when your views are straight, your virtue is straight and pure, then you establish right mindfulness. That's the basis. So it's not mindfulness is established you know, like an act of attention on the body. No, mindfulness is established as an awareness of right view, mutuality, yeah. letting go of self, understanding there's no self in here, no self out there. There are causes and conditions arising in the field. And respect and non-violence is the rule. When that's there, then... You establish it upon body. That particular way of seeing things. Hmm? Now, partly the problem here is that when they first translated Satipatthana, they thought it meant foundation of mindfulness. That is, mindfulness is based upon these. In fact, it's it's really Sati Upatana means this is where you establish a Sati. So, rather than Sati springing from these qualities. Sati is directed, mindfulness is directed to these four places. And the mindfulness is right, established right view. Yeah. This is causes and conditions. This is flesh, all of nature, subject to decay. Right? This is feeling, rising and passing, poignant, distressing, joyful. This is chitta. Establishing it as a series of causes and conditions, not as a self. Okay? So, and then taking it more deeply. Yeah? And as that's taken more deeply, and beginning of panya, discernment with mindfulness, because you see, well, that, that quality is 
hateful, uh, obstructive, lacks that. That pride or that vanity or that aversion is, is a distortion, lacks that. So you purification, of course, simply speaking, clearing the five hindrances, your will, passion, sense desire, dullness, restlessness, doubt, skepticism, lack of confidence. And of course here, quality of kindness is necessary both to sustain witnessing of these hindrances without going into self-hatred and despair, to cultivate sati as you witness the upheavals of the karmic field without going into, you know, anxiety, despair and self-hatred needs a lot of goodwill and compassion this is causes and conditions don't let it get you down don't react to it, don't seize up practice suffusing the body and mind with a mind and heart of goodwill breathing in, breathing out breathing body, suffusing mind with a heart of goodwill. So whatever arises, memories, perceptions, self and others, put down the cudgel, get out of the law court, get out of right and wrong, mind of goodwill, compassion, being suffer, that's what you need to know. So this way we're you know, changing what we're based upon based upon surveying rather than inhabiting the karmic field. As long as I inhabit the karmic field, I'm trying to find a comfortable place in it where annoying people won't get me, where disappointing events won't happen, where nasty insects won't bite me, where I won't get bothered. I want to carve out some territory in there. You know, and of course, that's kind of what we do. Yeah, naturally. But over the long run, you realize, yeah, there isn't any. If they still keep creeping in. <laughs> you know, memories, self aversion, guilt, worry, regret, agitation, um, indulgence, passions, the real enemies still creep creeping in. There's no safe place. So if you reach, what arises, saturating body and mind, mind of goodwill, breathing in, breathing out. Major practice. Mindfulness internally, one mindfully surveys the internal field. Mindfulness externally, one mindfully surveys the external field. Mindfulness internal and external, as the two fields coincide as my emotions and ideas meet the world around me, mindful of that meeting, is my words placed carefully? Yeah? Are my words placed carefully? Are my actions placed carefully? Do I speak at the right time and place things that are useful? Yeah? Is my words, when I say useful, or is it just babble? 
I speak harshly. You know? Right? Speech is a real big bridge between the internal and external, isn't it? So can that bridge, mindful of that bridge, some things are not worth talking about. Or not now. You don't have to talk about everything you think or see. What is appropriate? What is useful? What is for the welfare? This we bring forth. Whether it sounds good or not, we bring it forth. Cultivating internal and external. So we're beginning to work out some of the ways this karmic stuff catches us. You know, and I certainly have experienced uh, in this life living in meditative circles people who have some considerable gifts in the internal domain and yet externally they're irritable, arrogant, self obsessed. <laughs> because they've spent so much time internal. And they've got some nice samadhi, whatever. They come out and they're just arrogant, insensitive to others because they haven't developed anything external. They've all been me, my practice. I want to do my practice here. (laughs) You know, when you start to hear those words, my practice, you think, "Uh oh, (laughs) this is going to be a problem. I've come to do my practice here. This is going to be a problem. You've got, you begin to understand that the language after a while. When you hear that one, you go, um, I don't know if there's room for your practice here. <laughs> we don't have my practice, we have our practice here. We go, what do you mean? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> And so you know, really did it thoroughly, and I think, I'm sure we all get caught in this from time to time. And that's how you learn. Oh no, how do I get to that? Well, stop doing that. Stop bewailing and moaning, complaining about yourself. You dummies, what occurred? Learn. Learn. This is a very generous practice. You know, you make errors. The Buddha said, this is the way you learn. You learn from the hurt, the pain, and the shame of making errors. Enough now. Rise up. Look at the causes and conditions that cause that to happen. And you'll find in there, somewhere, there was a me. And mine. Yeah. And, and it may have come out as her and him. You know, because wherever there's me, there's a you, who I think is how I see you. How I see you is what I think you are. So this is kind of going on. That's what happened. Instead of seeing dumbness, I saw selves. Right? And so that purification process, samadhi, settling into that, working through that, Internally, externally. That's how mindfulness is presented. So the mind is not, when it's samadhi, it's not concentrated on an object, which is a very 
common and pernicious notion. And so if you're talking about samadhi is concentrated an object, it's got to be something that other it's mine, and other people are going to bother me by you know it's really a focus on the external. Samadhi is not a focus on an external object or an internal object. It's the result of purifying the field, the mind settles into its composure, its equanimity. With conditions, conditions subside, the mind feels steady. And this is where, you know, in that steadying, the field, the karmic field is settled so that we can begin to really thoroughly cultivate where discernment where the self views swirl this is where they coagulate around this particular topic I get very me around that particular issue that particular issue I'm pretty equanimous towards this one I've got a lot of me in it okay let's look at that how much of me really is in there yeah. how much do you want to die for in that one how much do you want to hold on to in that one yeah. if I say this is my monastery yeah. You know how much suffering is going to be in there? Yeah. Trying to keep it exactly the way I want it to be. Nothing annoying, everything clean, tidy, everything fixed, everything sorted. That's how much pain is going to be in my monastery. Yeah. So now I walk around like a dead man. But it's not mine, I'm dead. I'm just a ghost moving through this place. Because <laughs> it's so steeped in it for so many years the only way I can live in is to be dead move around happily dead of course <laughs> just not mine let it be it's up to them not mine let it be it'll be when I'm dead it'll be it'll do its own thing anyway so why don't I die now get it over with <laughs> that's fast the strategy you know, just be dead, <laughs> but joyfully dead. What dies is self, self-view, the holding, the clinging, the owning, the wishing, the wanting, the, you know, the clinging. Yeah. Right, we've got that over with. Yeah. And so we notice, you know, this, this thing can occur on many levels, on many things. You know, my book, my kuti, my my relatives when they pass away. My friends, when they die, you know? here is life. This monastic life, it's deaths every day, not just physical deaths. But oh, that, that nice monk who we're really getting on with, he wants to leave. Oh, it's a shame. Oh dear, this person who was really inspired has got lost faith. They've run away. Oh dear. <laughs> It's kind of, oh. <laughs> of course, there's birth. But going through that time and time again, it's eventually just equanimous. Yeah. And survey the field with beings of beings working out karma. Beings of beings working out karma. May they be well. Have whatever it takes, however long it takes. Just all I want to do is say, may you be well. I don't want to have to control you, make you something. 
ask something of you, expect you to see me a certain way. I don't want to bother with that. I just want to look, just be well. <laughs> that's what I want to say at the end of the day. Because <laughs> that's the only thing <laughs> really you can say. In terms of wish, well then, you know, you also say people get into various tangles. Right now it's like this, isn't it? Calming food is this, isn't it? Now, I don't want it to be that way, but now it's like this, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you, it shouldn't be this way, but now it's like this, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I know it's not right, but it's like this now, isn't it? Now it's like this. I know it's not fair, but now it's like this, isn't it? And you go, what do you keep saying that for? I mean, couldn't you make it better? Well, maybe, but now it's like this. Could you just do that with your mind? Just do that. Just, for, just you know, for a little while. It's like this now. That happens to be true. It's not desirable. What's desirable? That it'd be good and fine and perfect and happy and smooth and comfortable. That's desirable. But it's like this. It's true. <laughs> desirable is unrealized. Fantasy, a hope and a wish. But reality is, is like this. That's true. Why don't you just take a stand on truth, first of all, and then see what particular desire comes forth from that. And in my experience, such as it is, if I do take that stand on, you know, it's like this, the desire that comes forth is, may you be well, may it be well. I'm not asking you to make it well, or expecting it to be well, but that's my, that's my wish, my blessing. Such as it is. Well, let's, let's start from there. So, in the, you know, you see again how this quality of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, loving kindness, compassion, appreciated gladness and equanimity, this constantly kind of keeps sort of rising out of the field, you know, the sign of the, the blessing of understanding mutuality. Thank goodness the craziness of violence has left me. Thank goodness the corruption of hatred has left me. Oh, I'm, just, I'm happy that that is no longer holding me. Instead, there's some sense of respect and care for creatures, humans, animals, trees, everything. Oh, I feel blessed that that's, that corruption has left me. And then, oh, thank goodness, I, that somehow the quality of self-criticism, perfectionism, complaining has left me. Instead, there's a sense of, oh well, let's just keep practicing with goodwill. You know, let that pass. Let's try again. Resentment has left me. Oh, thank goodness. 
There's nothing. The field is easy or more comfortable. So these qualities arise where distress in regard to the world has left me. I wish it, I really wish it, it were happy and peaceful and kind. I wish that. I'm, as far as action goes, I would like to, to do actions that would do, to help that. But, that has to be living from that place where I'm not going to get angry and upset and blame people and criticize beings and get vendettas and, you know, get nasty about it. Because there's something precious here. Rare. It doesn't limit our actions. It doesn't say sit in a cave and forget the world. It says from your place of realization, Allow that spirit of compassion and kindness to give you the confidence that saturates your actions and speech, gives you the courage and integrity that fills it and enriches it you know, with these qualities of goodwill. As the Buddha says, you know, Nibbana, one wishes for the one's own welfare, for the welfare of others, and for the welfare of both. This is one result of realization. So our main meditation retreat, our main kind of, you know, working point is how does this self thing happen? Not not just technically, but what's the feeling of it? What's how do you know it's there? Well, look what it does to the world around you: the divisions, the divisiveness, the comparisons, the I'm better, the she's better, the we're better, the he's worse, the she's worse. You know that they're this and they're that. The naming and the blaming and the shaming. Why? That's one in there, isn't it? And then the dumping. It's yours, it's your thing, it's yours, it's your fault, it's your job. It's up to you, you know, the dumping. And see, no, stop doing that, it's not respectful. Mm-hmm. The owning, this is mine, I'm going to go my way. Mm-hmm. You've got some of these things, you see, it's, it's hidden in there. You know, we start to, this very body's not mine. So you start to wear out not an authentic chitta heart, but this you know, distorted experience, this psychology that generates self. You begin to gradually discern them, unravel them, and the realization of happiness, freedom, joy, and love that becomes available as the gift. So this for your consideration today.